Episode 59, Kate Colbert. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, it's Nikki, and today we're talking about engaging remote workers and contractual workers. I've got a CEO on the show today who manages 100% remote and 100% 1099 in her workforce. Both of these topics come up all the time in employee engagement discussions. So if you're one of those, if you've got any remote workers, any 1099, I am sure you're going to take a lot away from the show. So we're going to dive right in with Kate. So today we're diving into the topic of engaging a remote and 1099 workforce. I'm pumped. This topic comes up all the time. And here with me is Kate Colbert, president of Silver Tree Communications. And her business model is 100% 1099 and remote with team members ranging from Chicago to Norfolk. She founded the parent company 17 years ago. So she's got quite the insights to share on this popular topic. Kate, welcome to the show. Let's dive right right in. I want to talk about how common a remote workforce is and is becoming in today's marketplace. What trends are you seeing? Hey, Nikki, thrilled to be here. So This is a huge topic and bigger, I think, than most employers are really giving it credit for. So according to the Department of Labor, one in 10 workers in the United States is an independent contractor. And I don't think that 10% of our efforts um, in the HR space or in leadership space is really focusing on that segment of the workforce. So I'm really excited about talking about this today. You know, I remember several years ago, my executive coach, Suzanne Coonan, um, said something to me at, around this challenge that so many people 10 years ago or so were losing their jobs when the economy tanked. And they were really trying to replace those jobs with the same jobs, with 40-hour-a-week kind of positions with full benefits um, and job titles, and they couldn't find them. And, And she was saying to them and had said to me at the same time when we were chatting about this, Kate, the jobs are gone. The work is there. And that was a real light bulb for me as a business owner as well, and as well as someone who provides services to other companies and to clients, is that the work is always going to be there. But how companies resource themselves and how they think about the talent they bring on board and whether they have titles or whether they are legally employees or contractors, that has shifted. And quite frankly, I think it has shifted for the better to give more control and flexibility to companies as well as to contractors. The challenge is, of course, that not everyone who has had experience being an employee knows how to think of themselves as a contractor. So I think there are a couple of interesting things happening um, in this space. So first of all, I mentioned the previous economic downturns. I think in a lot of industries that had learned a lot of lessons um, about the perils of carrying the expense and responsibility of an employed workforce when times get tough, right? Those are those moments where you look around and you say, the balance sheet isn't where we need to be and we've got to lay off a whole bunch of full-time and part-time employees. That's emotional for everyone involved, including the leaders of those organizations. And I think that the trauma of those types of major layoffs um, have had long-lasting impact. I think that trauma has changed some of these industries and companies forever. So these companies are now resourcing their work differently. They're using contractors instead of employees. And like I said, frankly, I think that's actually a smart move in most cases. So take, for example, higher education. When you think about college professors, whether we're talking about 
business school or undergraduate education, three quarters of all faculty positions at colleges and universities in the United States are not on the tenure track. They are part-time 1099 positions. They are instructors or professors with few or no fringe benefits at all. And what's interesting, though, is this idea of being part-time or remote or contract still has this sort of less than or secondary cultural feel that we need to move beyond. So you've all heard the phrase, right? The adjunct instructor, adjunct professor. Three quarters of the people teaching in colleges and universities today are adjunct. The actual definition of adjunct is connected, but not essential. And that's a heartbreak to me. So early in my career, I actually started out as an English professor. Um, so my first graduate degree is in comparative literature and composition. And so I started out in academia. And not only are folks who are receiving their paycheck um, as a 1099 instead of W-2, not only are they connected, but they are absolutely essential. So I think we have to even change the way we talk about our workforce. You had mentioned uh, in the introduction that this sort of sense of essential that in my company at Silvertree, you know, at any given time, 100% of our workforce is uh, contractors. And so they are essential. They are our company. And I think it's important that companies and contractors alike really understand and embrace the truth that contractors are not less than. They are often more than. They're more experienced. They're more insightful. They're more talented. They're more candid or honest because they have more control. They're often more sought after. And sometimes, even though it might seem more expensive to hire a contractor on a per hour basis, they're often more affordable and flexible than employees too. Yeah. Wow. So you know communications better than either of us, right? The two people on this podcast right now, but I will say I'm going to go out on a limb right now and say words are so important. And just what you shared about adjunct, it's like if we're trying to engage people and then the definition of adjunct is that, I'm going to say our first takeaway is never use that title. Right. It's going to eliminate that. <laughs> right. So I've never looked it up, but it's now that I know it will never be on my list of titles that I will ever use. So that is, thank you so much for kind of laying the land. That's really helpful. Let's go ahead and dive into the unique characteristics of remote workers in a 1099 workforce. And let's look at it both from the leader perspective, like, especially thinking about, I hear all the time leaders are like, you know, our people are really wanting to go to more of a remote, you know, type of environment. This is really a struggle. Like just from a leader, like how do we advise them on, on what those unique characteristics are to keep in mind? And then also on the team member side, you know, there's, there's definitely some people, this is just not a fit for, right? You've got to have certain characteristics about you for this to be a fit. So let's just kind of talk about those unique characteristics on both sides. So I think that being remote, you know, assuming that whatever service it is that you provide to your clients or employer or partner organization, as long as they can be done from anywhere or almost anywhere in the world, there actually should be very few reasons to prevent someone from doing that. So there, you know, I think I remember years ago when I was working at a graduate business school and the concept of working from home, they were, everyone was calling it telecommuting back then. And it was new. And one of our most popular seminars and courses that we taught at the graduate school for corporations and for leaders was sort of how to manage telecommuters. And I look back on that and I laugh and I think we're all telecommuters now. Like whether you whether you collect W-2 or 1099, 
we all, I hope, have some flexibility in terms of how we work and where we work. There are still always going to be, and I think some of this is generational, so it really depends how you spent the majority of your own career working, whether or not people are are comfortable overseeing employees or contractors who are kind of all over the place. But it hurts my heart every time I hear someone ask the question about, well, you know, how do you know that if they're working from home that they're not, you know, doing their laundry or watching TV or, um, and that just kills me because I know as someone who has worked from a home office for a, lot, for a very, very long time and someone who oversees people who work from home offices that, listen, if, if folks are finding a way to throw a load of laundry in between meetings, you know, good on them. And they're working more hours a day and more hours a week and more focused than anybody who is ever stuck in a cubicle farm or distracted by meeting after meeting after meeting and people dropping by and interrupting them. And so I think people need to really make that mindset shift that remote workforce is is everything. Technology has changed everything too, Nikki. So I would say for leaders overseeing a remote workforce, that out of sight, out of mind thing was, I think, scary for people a long time ago. But now with video conferencing, but, you know, I think that, that you know, when you think about the dynamics of the, the team being 1099 versus W2 or remote versus onsite. So when I first started expanding my team at Silvertree, I called up real estate folks and started looking at office space and because that's the old school way of running a business. And so out of habit, I started looking at spending so much of our money on a physical space. And then I started asking myself, do the people who work for me really want to have to have a commute? Do they really want to have to drive in? And as a leader, do I want to limit my talent pool to only the people who are a reasonable driving distance from Kenosha, Wisconsin? So we're right halfway between Chicago and Milwaukee. We've got a lot of brilliant people, but I will tell you that folks who work for us today, they're everywhere in, in the nation. And I would have missed out on those folks if I had said, but you have to show up to an office in Southeast Wisconsin. So the advantages are just for leaders, I would say, I mean, the primary advantage of having remote people, whether they're W-2 or 1099, the advantages really are that you can get the best of the best talent. So your your pool of people that you can go after is bigger um, than it ever had been before if you don't let geography stand in the way. In terms of the challenges, you know, I, I think for both sides, whether you're the contractor or a, a leader or supervising contractors, the biggest challenge that I've seen is that a lot of contractors still think like employees. So there are a lot of folks just out of habit who don't know how to be self-starters or how to manage their own priority lists or schedules and how to be confident or in control when they communicate so that they're still looking for an employer or sometimes more technically their client um, to tell them what to do, tell them how to handle a project instead of coming in confidently and saying, so, hey, Nikki, so glad to get started on this engagement we just signed this contract for. Here's how I recommend we start. So a lot of contractors, especially if they're first transitioning out of having been an employee, especially an on-site employee, often really struggle with how to have the confidence to own the conversations and to remember that they were hired for their expertise and they should be stepping forward with that into that light. So you had alluded you know, a, a moment ago, some people really never make that transition. So some people really never become great contractors because they want or need someone to tell them what to do, or they don't see themselves as business owners who can call their own shots and are equal collaborators with their clients. And that's okay. 
But I think it's really important for contractors and employers or leaders alike to try to recognize that. Um, I have had some people come on board here at Silvertree who had never been contractors before, and we actually sort of helped them out at the beginning and you know, literally gave them advice about how to hire an accountant and all those things about setting up their own business so they could really be on their own two feet. Some people embrace that and become amazing contractors and some don't, but I really believe in giving people a chance to be able to be their best in this sort of new context. Great stuff. There's so much to what you just said. So one of them we're going to come right back to is the generations and how the five generations in the workplace adopt this or, you know, kind of the the unique challenge there. I want to come right back to that. I think, you know, something that just came up for me is for years, I have focused on, you know, we, we hear of the row workplaces, results oriented workplaces, right? And so the focus there is the result. And if we get good as leaders, not managers. Yep, I can't yep. stand that word, manager. It's <laughs> right. like, who wants a manager? Like, if we get good as as leaders at laying out the result and then breaking the result down into the goals and the KPIs, you know, I don't care if you're W two ten ninety nine remote. I think it it falls on the leaders to set the structure. And because I see where a lot of the challenges, leaders don't want to surrender control. If I can't see it, I don't know what's going on. It makes me anxious, right? That's a manager pitfall is you know, we're, we're trying to be able to ho- be a hover manager type situation. And ultimately it comes down to you as a leader, focus on what is the result. Let's get really clear and communicating the result and why you're here, the, the role that you're here to play to help this team succeed and then break it down into the goals and KPIs. And no matter if you're remote, you're W2, you're 1099, like that is very key to leading. And I think it's just at core if you're struggling in this 1099 or remote area. I think the other thing you brought up, which is interesting, and I just hadn't thought about this, helping these uh, 1099 or remote workers with efficiency training and really helping shape an ownership mindset for their time. Everyone wants to be efficient. Like no one wants to waste time. And sometimes like we are born with more of a self-starter thing than others. But as leaders leading 1099 or remote, I think you know efficiency and ownership-minded training I think is really, really good. So we might do another episode on that. But let's come back to... Uh, the generations in the workplace. So we've got five generations now operating in the work fl- workplace. What is the best advice you could give on thriving as 1099s or remote workers, no matter what generation? I mean, really, it is about awareness. And I think sort of every generation in the workforce right now is benefiting if they're open to it. They're benefiting to you know what millennials and what sort of you know Gen Y are bringing to the workforce in terms of demands for flexibility. And, you know, I think it's important, though, that we all understand wherever we are, so I'm a Gen Xer, is to understand when we're looking at our managers or our coworkers or our clients, trying to sort of understand um, without having any sort of ageism involved, understanding what has their experience looked like in their career? And so what are their biases and expectations? And how can you work within that. Um, I love what you said about results-oriented workplace. If we can understand what individuals in a workplace are trying to achieve, what results are they trying to get to, right? So is it about is it about making a certain amount of money every month? Is it about keeping the clients or customers happy? What are we trying to accomplish? And if we can use that common language and talking to people sort of up, down, and across the workforce from us, and make sure that we're being clear that we have those same goals and that we're committed to those same goals, 
but there might be some different ways to get to them. And so I think it's really important to understand that the idea of FaceTime, of showing up and being there and the boss being able to sort of see you and know whether you were five minutes late, that's something that that the baby boomers really, that's what w- the world of work was for them from day one. And so we still have a lot of baby boomers in the workforce right now coming up on retirement. And they can be, understandably so, a little uncomfortable with, with people sort of dispersed all over the place. And I think it's also important to remember that discomfort is sometimes sort of marries up with discomfort of the technologies because technology is making the world a lot more flat. But if you're not comfortable with the technology that gives you exposure to be able to see your people on camera or to listen to them or to be texting them or IMing them all day long, that creates its its own challenges. So, you know, an interesting story, my, my husband works for a Fortune 500 company. So he's a W-2 employee and has been with his company for over a decade. And his office is in Milwaukee, which is about 35 minutes from where we live. And and years ago, he had asked, could he work one day a week from home? And they said, sure. Um, he's an IT person. And so that was working out fine. And as you know, winters in Wisconsin can be pretty perilous. And, uh, you know, one day he was coming back from the office and has hit a patch of ice and totaled his car into the concrete median. And luckily he was okay. And so was everyone else. And after that conversation, after that happened, I said to him, why do you drive into an office at all? So my husband, Robert, his entire team, the people who work next to him, below him, above him, they're all over the country. He literally has no one on his team who's in that Milwaukee office. But he was driving into it. He was spending over an hour every day, sometimes a lot more in traffic, coming to work stressed instead of bringing the best of himself to work. And so a couple of years ago, he got a new boss and we were talking about it. And he said, oh, yeah, I have my first touch base with my new boss today. And I said, "Um, so when you talk to them about sort of who you are and what you're looking for and what you bring. And I said, make sure you let him know that you would like to work from home 100% of the time. And my husband thought that was crazy, Nikki. He's he's just like, I work one day a week. He's like, how do I ask to never go into the office again? And I said, because the results you deliver for the company will be either the same or better. You're probably still going to wake up at the same time. You have them quitting time. They might get an extra two hours of work out of you (laughs) and you'll be happier. Um, And I said, so just ask, what's the worst thing that could happen? And so a day or so later, I'd forgotten about it. And I asked him when I bumped, oh, hey, that meeting with your boss, did you ask about working from home 100% of the time? He says, yeah. And I said, what did he say? And my husband just shrugs his shoulders. He's like, oh, yeah, he said that was fine. And it was that simple. And I can tell you my husband's engagement at work is so different now and his flexibility when he has to work really late hours. Our lives are better and more comfortable. We're better able to take care of ourselves and our home and our dogs. And so everybody wins. But I think because there are sometimes these philosophical differences and often generational differences in the workplace, I think a lot of people are afraid to open the conversation from either side. You know, a theme that I keep hearing here is, um, and I'm going to put a challenge out to everyone that's listening, is let's think outside the box and really look at why do we do what we do? Like, is it just habitual, you know, there's patterns in our lives that make us think we need to have a brick and mortar space. You know, we need to have people W2, you know, really just thinking outside the box and looking at what are all the options and how could this potentially be good for our organization? That's come up like a few different times and I love it. Okay. So we have a lot more to cover and this show is just flying by. So one quick tactical question, when it comes to best technologies that you use to drive engagement, I'd love to hear a couple of those. One thing I want to just throw out that I'm a huge fan of is video. 
like actually having a visual of, of the, each other, right. Versus just audio. If you're on zoom, pop the video on like every time. Um, but I want to hear from you. What are some of those technologies and please comment on my video uh, topic. So Zoom is our go-to technology for communicating with each other. Um, and I do give folks on our team a hard time if they log into a meeting and I'm hearing them, but I'm not seeing them. I'm like, hey, turn the camera on. Um, and I don't care what they're wearing. I don't care if they're in the backseat of a car, if they're on a bus or whatever, you know. Um, you know, So I'm often you know, wearing you know, a tank top and yoga pants or what have you. So we, we don't care. But I do agree. And you know, it really is... And again, this comes back to my expertise as a communications consultant. We can unpack issues and we can have faster meetings and better results for our clients and our stakeholders if we don't let the unsaid go unsaid. And what I mean by that is when we're on a video conference talking to each other and I tell the team, hey, I was thinking we would do X, Y, and Z. If somebody's biting their bottom lip or they're being quiet if it's just a conference call, I don't know if they're nodding and smiling and taking notes and thinking, sure, Kate, brilliant idea, or if they're going, oh, crap. But when I can see them and I can see their body language on video just as I could if we were sitting in the same room, I am able to, and I, and I think this is one of my strengths as a leader, I don't let that go by unacknowledged. So I'll say, you know, hey, Penny, I'm sensing that there's something on your mind. Like, let's talk about that. Or is everybody really on board with this? Maybe let's not move on to the next agenda item until we're sure. So it's amazing the things that can come out when we read each other's body language and acknowledge it. And instead of judging it, saying, hey, I'm noticing that, right? I'm noticing that you're usually really chatty in meetings, but you've been pretty quiet today. Is there anything you want us to know about that? Or So I find that that's really important. So I'm with you 100%, Nikki. Um, what, whatever you use as your uh, video conferencing solution, we happen to think Zoom works really well. We'd like to be able to record it. Depending on sort of what sort of package you have with Zoom, you can actually even have the meetings um, transcribed, which saves a lot of money for note-taking and uh, time and what have you. So so we think that's really great. I am, interestingly, sort of like an old-school kind of person in some ways. And so I remember being really miffed the first time a client or a contractor texted me several years ago. And I thought, why? Like, I don't want people to have my cell phone number. And now I live and die by the cell phone. And so it's voice text for the most part. So anybody who has an iPhone, you can send voice little snippets of voice text back and forth. Or we sometimes do that on the Messenger app for uh, Facebook. There's still affect and emotion, and we can hear sarcasm, and we can get all of that from each other's voices. But because they're little snippets going back and forth, it can take place asynchronously. So it doesn't. we don't have to be available at the exact same time. So I think scheduling meetings is the most horrible part of having a job. <laughs> so meeting, meetings just suck. Um, I really believe that they need to be short and they need to work for everybody. And so sometimes they don't work. And so I have no problem, you know, sending a little voice message to everybody on the team and knowing that they might, it might take six hours or 10 hours before everybody has all heard it and responded, but they all heard exactly the same message from me. Um, and it wasn't sort of watered down in an email. So certainly we do a lot of email, but we do a ton of voice texting and a lot of uh, video conferencing via Zoom. And I think that there are a lot of other great, you know, a lot of a lot of folks who have remote workforces are doing a lot of collaboration with, you know, whether it's things like, like SharePoint or, you know, collaborating on on documents. So I think there are a lot of ways to to make it work. In fact, 
I think technology is so much more flexible than the physical workspace. And by the way, it saves a lot of money. And that's one of the things we haven't talked about. So especially if you're the CEO and if you have profit sharing or, you know, you're where the buck stops and if the company's not making enough money, you're not taking home a paycheck. I don't, why should I have to pay for water and toilet paper and whatever for people who work for me if they would rather be working from home? That's just silly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. And Kate, you know, really getting to the meat of what you do really well is leading 1099s and leading remote team members. So I want to ask you, because we've just got just a just last question here before we go into the lightning round. What are the most important things as a leader of these types of dynamics and people to keep in mind? What are the things that you make sure that, you know, are really the drivers or the core of driving engagement of these team members that are either remote or 1099? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is what's the stuff that gets me excited. So I love coming into work every day because I think my most important job is engaging and motivating and appreciating the talent who work for us. So I think the first thing that's so vital is treating them like the experts that they are and the value team really to invest in them as well. So let me come back to the treating them like true members of the team. So remember, I'm also a contractor too. So um, I, I do a lot of work for clients who bring me on individually or bring me and my team on. And I have a former client who I got two different sets of treatment from the same client because I worked for maybe let's say six or eight people in that company who I worked with on a daily basis. It's some of their leaders treated me like a trusted colleague, brought me in on sort of insider information, helped me be really, really successful in the work that I did for them. And some of them in other departments treated me like an outsider. And it was heartbreaking. And I can tell you that it was a struggle for me because I ended up finding I was creating friendships and having this affinity for the people who treated me respectfully and as a member of the team. And that I was really sort of bristling when I would see the phone ring from the people who um, treated me like an outsider. And nobody wants that, Nikki. Like nobody wants to be treated like an order taker or worse yet as this outsider who's sort of busting their butt for a client company, but they get scapegoated when things go wrong or you know, they, their contracts don't get renewed and, and they never hear from folks. And that, that happens all the time. So it's important as a leader that when you have contractors working for you, that they feel valued and respected and that that relationship never feels transactional. It's not about placing an order. It's not about buying a service. Um, it should be about partnership. And and listen, to be fair, we've actually seen contractors get the opposite treatment. I'm sure any, anyone listening um, to this episode uh, could tell stories where we've seen contractors and, and consultants be treated like brilliant sages who have all the answers. Right? They get brought in and they say something in the boardroom and the consultant, you know, everyone's nodding and smiling. And yes, that's brilliant. And the employees are sitting around the table saying, are you kidding me? I've been telling them that same thing for years, um, but I'm getting paid less and less respected. And that's what I've been saying all along and no one's listening. So it, it can go both ways. And interestingly, sometimes contractors who are paid very, very highly sometimes get treated the best. So they get the best of the best. So let me come back to why it's vital to invest in them, though. It's important, one, to understand that they're really mobile. So your contractor's they have a lot more power than your employees. And if you're not working hard to attract and retain that best of the best, um, you're gonna have a revolving door of contractors. So how can you invest in them? I'll just give you some examples of what, what we do and what I find as a leader works really well. So I, they have branded email, all right? So they're not feeling like outsiders using Gmail accounts. They have Silvertree Communications and Silvertree Publishing email accounts. They have branded 
uh, collaboration tools and access to everything they need. They have phone extensions. So when people call our corporate headquarters, there is a phone extension that rings their cell phone um, so that they are connected in that way um, seamlessly. They have business cards if they need or want them. They've got company apparel and swag, right? And I love that as a contractor too. So, you know, when I'm out at University of Wisconsin Platteville and they give me a mug or when Viterbo University gives me a t-shirt. These signifiers that someone is part of the team, they matter because at the end of the day, whether we're employees or contractors, we're humans, right? Um, you know, and I know you're a huge champion of people first cultures and so am I. And so it's important, I think, that we invest emotionally as well. So not just in tools and things that we can give them. Um, I think it's really important that we be letting our contractors know how much we appreciate them. So every time I mail out checks to contractors, I take the time to stick a post-it note with a personal note um, and little love notes and little hearts and, and to let them know how much I appreciate them or to acknowledge something they did recently on a particular project. So gratitude matters. And I don't believe I've done my job at the office every single day if I have not found a way to say I appreciate you and give some sort of add a girl or add a boy to every single member of my team. It's, I think, my most important job. And then I think it's also important emotionally in terms of how you're giving, what else can you give them? Give them the flexibility that they need and deserve. Give them exposure. Um, I really like to give power and responsibility. So if we've got contractors who want to be really client facing and, you know, as important, if not more important than me on a particular project, if that's that's the right thing to do, we do that. Um, if they want a fancy job title on their business card, I give them that. And I also think it's really important to create customized experiences to meet these human beings where they are. So by way of example, um, we have had a, a contractor in the past who had pretty severe social anxiety and could not do face-to-face -face meetings, even if she was located near a client site where I had to go in for meetings. And, and me being able to understand that as a unique facet of her personality and her health allowed me to be able to adjust her schedule and my expectations of her, but still keep her in a really important leadership role. And I think a lot of people would have said of an employee, well, that's ridiculous. Like you have to be able to show up in the boardroom her talent, and to your point earlier about what sort of results are we trying to generate, her challenges with um, her mental health were not impacting our results in any negative way. And she was delivering results all over the place. So I customized the way she works with our clients. I also happen to be a big fan of bonuses. So I know a lot of people don't give bonuses um, of any type to their contractors. And I think you should. So um, every single member of our current contract team um, has been taken um, on some sort of team travel adventure. So they've cruised to the Caribbean with me or if they've crewed to Alaska with other members of the team. So we do that all the time to create space so that we can get to know each other and to solidify those relationships um, and have time to know each other beyond just the work and the deadlines. Thanks, Kate. This was such awesome insights on this very important and vital topic. So many workplaces are shifting to this. And I can tell you right now that uh, future 1099s are thanking you for helping leaders understand this stuff better. So we're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor message today and come back and learn about the personal side of Kate on what we call our lightning round. We'll be right back. In our conversations with CEOs and hiring managers, we hear they're frustrated with traditional recruiting. From outrageous fees to focusing on candidates before clients, the process was broken and needed to be fixed. Enter Titus Talent. Titus Talent strategy serves its clients using passionate people, a proven process, and unparalleled performance. Oh, 
And did we mention they guarantee the performance of their candidates for 12 months? If you want to learn how they're disrupting the recruitment space, head over to TitusTalent.com. That's T-I-T-U-S-T-A-L-E-N-T.com. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science. Kate, uh, we are excited to dive in a little bit more to what we call our lightning round to learn a little bit more about you. So first question, favorite book or one that you'd recommend today? Oh, so this is a hard one. So if you're looking for something really great for uh, fiction, I could not more strongly recommend Beartown um, by Friedrich Bachmann. Um, I have a master's in literature and it is probably, I think, in the top five books of the thousands I've ever read. And of course, I would be doing myself a disservice not to recommend that you read my book, <laughs> Think Like a Marketer, How a Shift in Mindset Can Change Everything for Your Business. So if you are a leader or you're a contractor, um, you run a business and you have a brand. And I think uh, picking up a copy of Think Like a Marketer would be helpful as well. Oh, awesome. We'll put Think Like a Marketer in the show notes. So guys, pick up that book. Uh, Favorite vacation spot? Alaska by far. Yeah, gorgeous. How about a favorite hobby when you're not working? Oh, anything related to my dogs. So I rescue um, sort of wayward animals. And so I have always usually have four or five uh, dogs. So anything related to chasing them around in the backyard, or um, I also enjoy doing a lot of volunteer work. My family is really connected um, with uh, veteran service or organizations. So if you can't find me in the office, you might find me actually at a, a local veteran cemetery um, accepting a flag um, for a veteran who just died no next of kin. And Kate, how can our listeners connect with you after the show today? Well, social media or, you know, on the internet are a great way to think about me. So if you're interested in learning more sort of about me or my book, katecolbert.com. If you're interested in learning more about our market research, um, communications consulting businesses as well, um, silvertreecommunications.com. Feel free to also hunt me down on LinkedIn, which is a really great place to start a relationship. Kate, that was excellent. Thank you for your insights and energy. Let's wrap up with the truth you can act on section. So number one, focus on the result. Lead with the end in mind. Help your people see their goal clearly and empower and support them with autonomy to get there. Clear goals, KPIs, and dates associated are a great place to start. Oh, and paint a picture of what success looks like to them. Number two, leverage technology with video to bridge the distance. Highly encourage both audio and visual for remote meetings. This is a game changer for building relationships. Number three, treat them like insiders. No one wants to be treated like an outsider. Take a look at how you interact with remote and 1099 workers. How can you enhance to treat them more like a trusted colleague? And number four, constant gratitude. Express your thanks in handwritten notes, texts, phone calls, gifts, etc. Gratitude is another key to relationship building. Awesome action-packed show today. We'll see you next week on Gut Plus Science. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.